Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Doing, 
but we're going to talk about that today. The first thing I want to do is I want to dive into a scripture in Matthew, and we're going to talk about what happened when Jesus came to town. What happens when Jesus comes to town? What if Jesus came to town today? What if he came riding in on a donkey here in town today? What if he actually showed up at Freedom House? Let's talk about that for a second. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, When they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples. See, he had to go to Jerusalem, and he needed to fulfill the scriptures, so he had to come in exactly as the scriptures said he was to come in. And it says that he told these two disciples, I want you to go into the village opposite of you. Don't go in the village we're in. Go in the one opposite of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anybody says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. I mean, that's a little unorthodox to me. I mean, what happens when Jesus says, Hey, I want you to go take somebody else's animals. They don't belong to you, but I want you, you're the one that's going to do it. You're going to go get them, and you're going to bring them to me. I mean, he's asking us to participate in that. What happens when Jesus asks you to go do something that doesn't really click with your mind or your understanding? What might you do when that happens? We know that Jesus begins to ride in Jerusalem. We know that it's Palm Sunday this day. We know that it's the Passover. And there's some things that are about to take place, some things that are about to happen. And a lot of the city was talking about who Jesus was, but they didn't necessarily have an accurate picture. They'd heard about Jesus, but Jesus is about to show himself on full display as he goes on into the city. Because you see, before the work of God is completed, this is just the beginning. Something has to happen, though. There's a few things that Jesus has to take care of. We know that that week there was things that were going to take place because that's the same week, the Passover, same week of the crucifixion, the resurrection. We know that there's some things that got to transpire before Jesus can fulfill what he's supposed to fulfill. And Matthew 21 verse 10 it says and when Jesus he had come into Jerusalem all of the city was moved now that word moved right there I want to I want to explain something to you the way that the Greek language is now the Old Testament's written in Hebrew the New Testament is written in Greek and I want to explain to you because in the English language we do things quite differently We can use the same word to describe many different things, but in the Greek language, they change the word based upon the meaning of where it's to fit. So, for example, if I were to say, I love ice cream, there is a different word in the Greek for love of ice cream than if I were to say, I love my children, right? How many of you know I probably should love my children a little bit more than ice cream, at least most of the time? 
I, I've, I've only got one left at home, so most of the time that's pretty accurate, right? So in the English language, though, there's an assumption that you just should understand which word love we're determining, that there should be a greater emphasis on the children than the ice cream. But in the Greek language, it's very different. They actually use different words to describe what they're meaning at the time. So when it says that that Jesus came into the city and the city was moved, that Greek word right there, and it's a really hard one to pronounce, so I just wrote the Greek number 4579. So you could go look it up in your lexicon because I know all of you go and study all the messages that we teach and preach. You go home and you study those, and we're so glad that you did. So that's the the Greek word 4579. Go look it up. And that word right there means an earthquake. It means something that is an intense and immense shaking that happens. So that word moved is like Jesus comes in like an earthquake. He comes in in intensity into the city. He's moving and he's shaking. And they say, who is this? Some of the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from the from." Nazareth of Galilee. They're like, some people are trying to figure out who he is. Some people have heard of him. And some people, a few people know exactly who he is, and they know exactly what's going to happen because, see, they've spent time with him. But the majority of the crowd just knows about Jesus, but they really don't know Jesus. So they get a little bit surprised at the things that he does because they know about Jesus, but they hadn't spent time with him to really know Jesus. So there's, there's a difference. And it says that Jesus comes to town, and, and he's ready to shake things up. And you know when Jesus comes to town that nobody's excluded from that shaking up? Even the church. I think this last year, the church got shaken up big time. Let me tell you what I think happened. Matthew chapter 21. This is all succinct. This is all happening. This is all Passover week. This is all happening. This is the timeline. The next thing that happens when Jesus comes into town and and they've laid the Hosanna branches, they're declaring that he's the king. They're declaring that he's the Messiah, but they're still going, who is this? Oh, Oh, yeah, he's the Messiah. There's a knowing of who he is, but when he starts to display his authority, some people don't know what to do with that. It says, then Jesus went into the temple. Jesus went up into church. He went into the house of God, and he drove out out all of those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you, who's he talking to right here? Unbelievers? Where is he? He's in the church. He's not out in the street anymore. He's not just talking to the whosoever. He's talking to the church. And he says to the church, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. In the church? 
Jesus, come on now. Jesus, we love you. We just sang songs about you. We clapped. We even did a little bit of like the lift, you know. I mean, I hadn't got all the way, but I did like a, a courtesy lift, you know. Jesus. It says, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. What was Jesus mad about when he comes in flipping tables and turning over chairs? Can I tell you this? It's not because there was a Starbucks or a bookstore in the lobby. I, I love how people that don't know the scriptures try to bring scriptures and tell, they've tried to tell us, I've had some people before say, that, that is just like Jesus. He's going to flip over chairs because you have a Starbucks and you're trying to profit. I, I personally think that's hysterical because they, they don't know what we're talk, they're talking about because one machine, one coffee machine costs $25,000. To be open for 30 minutes before and 30 minutes after a service on a Sunday morning and you're selling coffee, let me just ask you, how long might it take to actually pay just for one machine, let alone everything else? That's not out there to make money or to make a profit. You know why it's out there? It's out there for unbelievers who see something familiar and they go, oh, I know Starbucks. That Starbucks is out there so you can come and actually have a conversation over a cup of coffee and make yourself at home. So it cracks me up when people say things and they don't understand what they're talking about. And by the way, the bookstore does make a little bit of money, not that much, but what it does make goes back on the mission field. So when people say stuff like that, I'm like, it's funny how you can make assumptions and you never even ask the question. You know what they say about the word assume, right? But let me tell you what Jesus is talking about here because I think it's important to understand what he is talking about. You see, what is happening here is you had people that were coming from all over the place to come and sacrifice and worship because it was the Passover. You had people, disciples, you had people who loved the Lord, who were literally coming from hundreds of miles, some of them. Now, a requirement when you got to the temple was that you sacrifice. But many of them, because they had traveled for so many miles, they couldn't bring all of the animals that they needed to sacrifice with them. So there was an agreement that when they got there, they would sacrifice and purchase the animals there in the temple. So they could come, they could purchase the animals, but see what happened is these money changers were taking advantage of their desperate need to worship. They were overcharging. They were charging $25 a roll for toilet paper. Gas was going up to $15 a gallon because they needed it. Do you understand what I'm saying? They were taking advantage of people, and Jesus didn't like it. They were taking advantage of these people's heart to worship. They traveled all this way to come and worship, and, and they're taking advantage of the children of God. And Jesus didn't like it at all. He said, let me show you what I think about how you're treating my people. You see, because when Jesus comes in, 
and he sees where people are being robbed blind and lied to, he gets a little bit angry. And he wants to cleanse the house. He wants to flip tables over. Now, what do you do when Jesus just won't behave? Like, what do you do when Jesus doesn't fit in the little box that we've made for him? When our social constructs and and our ideas of Jesus don't fit? Because, I, I mean, I like the sweet little nice Jesus. I, I, I mean, this like messes with me. Because, I mean, I see all these signs on on social media about how kind Jesus is. Jesus is about love. Jesus is about kindness. Jesus is about forgiveness. And I see this. But why didn't Jesus just go in and say, hey, can I have a conversation with Taoist about why you're doing this in my Templeist? Um, can we can we talk? Hey, over here, money changers. Can we just come over here? I mean, I don't want to embarrass you in front of anybody because it's you know I I, I want to respect you and I, and I'm such a kind God. Come here, come over here, just in the corner. Hey, I I, I really don't like what you're doing. It kind of hurts my feelings. You know, um, and so I'd just really appreciate it if you would stop that because I'm kind and loving Jesus. <laughs> so could you please not do that anymore? Thank you so much for listening. Okay, could you clean this mess up? Thank you. Okay. And we won't even tell anybody. We won't even tell anybody about this conversation. If Jesus did only what we think he ought to do, then guess who becomes God? We do. You see, I've got my plans. i got my thoughts. i got my ideas. But what happens when Jesus comes in and starts flipping that over? You know, maybe we don't have our perspective of Jesus correct. You see, he's not just the son of God. He's also the son of man. He's both the resurrection and the life. He's the alpha and the, he's, he's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the head. He's the tail. He's above and beneath. Jesus is everything. He's the suffering servant and the conquering king. He's the lion and the lamb. But why is it Christians always want the little lamb Jesus? Jesus had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. Why is it as Christians, we want the little lamb Jesus and we don't want the lion of Judah Jesus? Why is that? Because I think it messes with us. We have to adjust our box. You know, what is Jesus doing here? He's looking for a church that is serious about worship. He's looking for a church that is not tolerating things that it should not be tolerating. You see, my mind, when I start seeing this, I start thinking of where were the leaders in the church? There is no way you can tell me that the leaders of the church didn't know what was going on right in the courts of the church. There's no way. There's no way you can convince me. There's no way that you could convince me that other people who were there attending, bringing their sacrifices, didn't see what was going on. This this reminds me of our entire year last year, of the last 18 months. 
where you've got leaders with their heads stuck in the sand and Christians with their heads stuck in the sand saying, well, it's not my issue. I got my sacrifice. I brought mine with me. What they do, that's their problem. Like, I mean, I don't agree with it, but I'm not going to say anything. It's not how I do it, but it's not my place. I just want to keep peace. And so I can keep peace if I just keep my mouth shut. I just keep peace. And, and despite what they're doing, if I just like, at least me and God, you know, God, I'm bringing my sacrifice to you. I'm honoring you, and I am not responsible for what somebody else is doing in your house, in your name. If the church remains silent on morality issues, then the world begins to disciple the church. If I had to name this last year by a movie title, I would call it The Silence of the Lambs. When the church stopped speaking, do you realize that we are in the position we are in as a church, as a nation, as a city, as a state, because we were so interested in reaching lost people by not saying anything that's offensive so that way nobody will feel, you know, that they can't come in our doors so we won't say anything that's offensive. We're not going to tell you the truth because it might hurt your feelings and then you won't come. Meanwhile, we have an entire generation growing up that doesn't know if they're a boy or a girl. We have an entire generation growing up that doesn't know that abortion is wrong. And listen, listen, I understand. Here's, I had a conversation with a woman, and she made this comment to me. She said, listen, she said, I, I don't like it when we talk about abortion because I, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is we need to start talking about not having sex before you get married. And I said to her, okay, okay, well, let me ask you a question. Have you had an abortion? Well, yeah, yeah. And I said, that's why you don't want us to talk about it, because it harms you and hurts you when we talk about it, because you're not healed. You want us to stop talking about something because it hurts you, because of a, a decision that you made, and you just need to ask the Lord for forgiveness and move on. I said, but in the same manner, if I were to stand up in church, and we do, and say, listen, if you're not married, you shouldn't be having sex. I said, that doesn't bother you because that's not you. But if somebody's living that way, guess what? They're not going to like that. We don't like to hear the truth when the truth makes us have to adjust our gospel, our, our Jesus in the box. The gospel is offensive to those who don't want to hear it. And if we think that we shouldn't speak up or say something because we, we might lose Instagram followers or, or something might happen at our work, somebody might get upset with us, how is the world supposed to know its way when the light, the city on the hill, stops shining? I got a, I got a um, uh, something left on my Instagram this week because I was talking about a couple of bills and laws that got passed that are just wrong. The date rape drug um, is now no longer illegal in California. It got passed. 
Yes. Um, and not only um, that, another bill got passed a few months ago where a 24-year-old can have sex with a 14-year-old, and it is now legal in California. And y'all know that California, what starts there usually sweeps across the country, right? And so I get a little rowdy about those kind of things. And so I said something on my Instagram account about it. And let me tell you what a girl said. She said to me, listen, I come to Freedom House, and I want you to know that I want, when I come to church, to have a nice, relaxing, peaceful environment. I don't like how our church is talking about things that are going on in the world. Church is my escape. And I responded back with, what rock are you living under? <laughs> like, seriously? I mean, how many of you are married? Raise your hand. How many, of you, how many of you know that just because you're not speaking up or saying something in your marriage doesn't mean that it's peaceful? Because if things under the surface are not resolved, guys, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I, just because she's not saying it, you know she's saying it, just not verbally, right? So how come we think that, well, I'm not speaking up and saying anything, you know, I just don't want, do, do you realize that that's not keeping peace? It's letting the enemy win. When you stop speaking to your spouse about the things that are troubling, the things that are going on, that's not keeping peace. You, you bury things that are alive and they don't die. That's why she brings things up from 10 years ago. You know what I'm talking about. She does that for a reason, because it never died in her. Why are we being silent about the things that matter? Can I just tell you what happened in this scripture? Let me remind you. It says, as soon as Jesus cleaned the house, the blind got set free, the lame got healed, and guess what happened? The religious got mad. I'm all about making some religious people mad. I, I, don't, I, I kind of enjoy it a little bit. <clears throat> because I know religious people don't change the world. I know people that are humble and hungry change the world. And those are the people that I'm after. Those are the people that I want to see just rise up and and do something. I got another story on my um, Instagram. This one was sent um, uh, in, into my inbox, and it said this. It said, I live in another city, so I can't attend Freedom House regularly, but I am an admirer from afar. I work at a publicly traded software company, and ever since going public, the company had become radical in their views, and I am constantly feeling uncomfortable. Is this just something I have to live with? I am pressured each day to add pronouns to my profile and to participate in what is being labeled as diversity and inclusive tra training. Is this new woke world something that I should just put up with as a Christian in order to keep my job and make a living for my family? I am just curious if the grass is greener somewhere else or do I tolerate this? Now, if I was a columnist and I was Ann Landers, here's how I would respond. Dear admirer from afar, no, you do not have to put up with this. This is complete garbage. If we all stand up as Christians, they can't cancel us. But too many are cowering in the corner for the sake of quote-unquote 
unity, but I call it conformity because we are afraid to be the light. In John chapter 3, we read about a high-ranking religious leader who actually loved God, who actually knew the scriptures, who studied the word of God, and he comes to Jesus because he's like, listen, I, I have an understanding of God, but Jesus, the things that you're saying are kind of messing with me. And I'm, I'm a little bit confused here. Could you help me out? And the thing that I find interesting is he comes to Jesus at night because, you know, it's kind of like the people who inbox me on social media. Hey, keep speaking up. Hey, keep taking a stand. Hey, keep doing it. I don't want to go, why aren't you? They're like, thanks for doing what you're doing. And I'm like, where are you? So he goes to Jesus at night because, you know, there, there was a lot at stake. He, was, he had a big title. He, you know, was big in the community. So he goes to Jesus at night where nobody can see him so he can get his questions asked. And, and it says in John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which is teacher, I know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, okay, I've told you, you just called me teacher, and I'm teaching you. And Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see, Jesus is, is flipping over the intellectual ideas that Nicodemus had in his mind about who God is. Jesus is flipping over intellectual tables. Jesus is trying to get him to see something different. And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, here is what's happening with Nicodemus, is what's happening with a lot of us. Our mind and our spirit are wrestling. There's a wrestling match going on, and we're trying to understand, we're trying to comprehend what's going on, and we don't necessarily understand it all and we're like God is doing something new and I see that he's doing something new and I'm trying to get on board with this I don't know exactly what to do I don't know exactly how to do it and Jesus specifically talks about this in Luke chapter 5 Jesus said I'm trying to give you new wine and you want the old stuff and he said but a new wine new wine can't fit in an old wine skin why because when you put wine in a wineskin, it expands and it grows. It never goes back small again. It expands and it grows. And I'm trying to put new wine into you, and you're wanting to go back to the old. I'm trying to do something new with you, church, but you're wanting to go how things were pre-2020. You're wanting to go back to a different church. You're wanting to go back to a different time, a different place. But it's not the same place anymore. Things have changed. Things are moved. The bar has gone higher. There's a separation. There's a divide. You can't go back to where things were. 
And the Bible is very clear. It says in Luke chapter 5 that when you taste the new, sometimes you don't want it. In other words, it's an acquired taste. Sometimes we taste the new and we don't want it because we got comfortable with the old. And when Jesus comes in and starts flipping things over, we don't know what to do. Because it's not in our little Jesus box. We're trying to figure this out. But new wine will not fit in an old wineskin. Can I ask you today, are you an old wineskin? Are you allowing God to do something new in you? Change your thoughts. Change your perceptions. Change your mindsets. Change your way of thinking. He's saying, behold, I do something new. And Nicodemus comes at night because he knew it wasn't real popular to go be talking to Jesus. So many of us are operating under the cover of night right now because we don't want to look unpopular to all of those others that are watching. We don't want to ruffle feathers. We don't want to upset people. We don't want to make them mad with us. We want to keep the peace. I think there is something to you, Jesus, but... I, you know, I'm coming at night because I, I want to protect my reputation. I can't afford to get canceled. I don't want to lose my job. You know, I've got this certain rank in my company, and if I really speak out. But, Jesus, I know there's something to you. I, I, I can't figure out what it is. I, I know this is of God, but I'm, I'm not sure because this is new for me. You see, I knew the God of the Old Testament. I studied those scriptures. I knew. And and now we're in New Testament times, and, and I'm just not familiar. I'm not familiar with this. You see, most Christians were happy with where God was, but they aren't necessarily happy with where God is. I liked church before I came, and Jesus messed it up. I like the comfortable church. I like the church where we just talk about how God is love and his mercy and his grace endures forever. Amen. I like that God. I don't like this God that's flipping stuff over. I like what God did, but not what God is doing. I do it differently. Why? Because God, you're messing with my sleep now. You're making me have to turn over idols in my life. You're making me have to turn over mindsets in my life. You're making me have to flip over fear. You're making me have to look at discouragement and flip it over. You're making me have to realize where my trust has been lying and flip it over. You're flipping over stuff in my life and I'm uncomfortable. I don't like being uncomfortable. I like being the undercover Christian. We fear getting canceled more than we fear God. What has happened, church? We long for people's approval more than we long for God's approval. What's happened, church? The God of the old way is introducing us to the God of the new, and we don't know what to do with it. We're so used to what God did that we don't understand where God is going. 
And when Jesus says you have to be born again, Nicodemus is like, I, like, okay, what do you mean? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? I, I don't, we, like, how can I go back into my mother's womb? I, you see, we're trying to understand Jesus with our gray matter instead of listening to him through our spirit. Because he's not going to fit in that box that we, Jesus, God was in a box in the Old Testament. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. In the New Testament, he ain't in a box. He doesn't want us putting him in a box, right? In John 3, verse 9, it says, Nicodemus answered to Jesus, and he said, how can these things be? And Jesus answered to him and said, are you the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? In other words, you're supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to be a follower. You're supposed to be a leader, and you don't know these things? You don't know where I'm going? It's not because I'm not speaking. Maybe because you haven't come to me before now. It's not because I haven't been teaching. I've been teaching in the synagogues. I've been teaching in the fields. I've been teaching on the backside of the desert. You should know this as a leader. You should know this as a follower. I haven't been hiding this from you. So if you don't have this information, if you don't know this, what's the problem? How can we as Christians, or better yet, spiritual leaders of our day, not know what is going on right now? How can we allow things to come into the temple and not challenge them? How can we allow mindsets to walk in here that are completely ungodly, but for the sake of peace, we keep our mouths shut? How is that possible? What are we doing? Oh, don't make me be, have to look at how I'm living. It's the summer. I just want to coast. I want to relax. It's the dog days of summer. I just want to drink my iced tea on the porch with a little bit of lemonade mixed in it. I like the honored farmer. I just want to relax, kick back by the pool. Don't be challenging me. Don't flip over my tables. You see, what happens is our faith has to eventually escape the prison of the past and go into the faith of the future. What do I mean by that? I mean, the Bible says we, we should have a, a mustard seed of faith. You know, the problem is, is a lot of us as Christians are walking around with our mustard seed in our pocket. A mustard seed was meant to be planted. And in order, when you start planting that mustard seed, it starts to break because it doesn't fit in that environment anymore because once it gets planted, it starts to grow. But we'd rather keep the seed in our pocket than grow a tree with it. Why is that? Because, you know, when it's in tree form, it's more work. I've got to tend it. I've got to take care of it. I've got to water it. I've got to fertilize it. I'd rather just keep it really small and in my pocket. I mean, I've still got the mustard seed of faith. I'm just not willing to grow it. I want to stay small. I want to think small. Because, see, when the tree starts to grow, it requires more to keep it going. Ah, no, that's too much for me. No, no, no. 
You see, I, I just like to sit back and, and, and be relaxed. And, you know, I call it being content so I can appear like I'm holy. But holy things grow. I mean, what's, what's wrong with just wanting things small and comfortable? I mean, it makes me feel really humble about my small life. Like I stay small so I can, you know, have that martyr complex. Like I'm just really humble. And What's wrong with that? Well, in Matthew 25, Jesus gives five talents, two talents, and one talent to three different people that he asked to steward. He gives them different amounts of money. But what he says is, is you're responsible for this. I want you to steward well what I've put into your hand. Well, the five brings back another five. He planted it, grew it, tended it. The two brought back another two, planted it, grew it, tended it. The one that had one just returned the one back. And he's like, here you go. I I gave you what you gave me. And you know what Jesus said? Wicked and lazy servant. Well, I I just was content, Jesus. I mean, why do I want to work so hard to to put stuff in the soil and and tend it and sweat and do it? Like, I'm just giving you back what you gave me. Jesus said, no, I wanted it back with interest. When I give you something, I expect for you to multiply it. I want you to multiply what I've given to you. Why didn't the last servant multiply it? Because he had the wrong perspective of Jesus, the wrong perspective of God. It says, I knew you to be harsh and unjust. That's why he didn't plant and do what he should have done, because he had the wrong view of God. He put God in a box. Let's not run from the pain of progress. Yes, Yes, things can get hard at times. I'm not suggesting this last season hasn't been hard, and I know all of us have had to navigate it. I get that, and I understand that. I'm not saying that every stage of growth is easy. But what I am saying is if you're in the third trimester about to give birth, please don't long for the first trimester. You've outgrown that space. You don't fit there anymore. But this hurts. It hurts. Of course, contractions hurt. Learn to use the contractions to help you give birth to what God's got on the inside of you. Yes, I know it's painful. Stand up on your feet. Yes, I know it's painful. Yes, I know it hurts. I've given birth to three babies. It is painful. And you're either going to push it out or get it cut out. But one way or another, God wants that promise out. He wants the promise out. Listen, you can rest when things get hard. I'm not suggesting this summer that you don't rest. What I am suggesting is that you can rest, but quitting is never an option. You are a blood-bought, redeemed child of God, and quitting and shrinking back is not an option for you. It is not an option. Would you close your eyes and bow your head with me? I just want to ask you this question today. What is it that you need to let go of? What is it, what mindset, what relationship, what connection, what is it that you need to let go of today so you can walk in the fullness of what God has for you? 
so that you won't shrink back, so that you won't stay small, so that you won't long for Egypt because they gave you cucumbers and onions, but you'll keep focused on the promised land where God is taking you, not just where you've been. Because there's greatness in you. There's greatness in the seed if you plant it. God doesn't want you small. He doesn't want you shrinking back. He's not a small God. He's a great big God. If you would just commit today to say, you know what? I am not going to shrink back anymore. I am going to step up and be the city on a hill, the light on a hill. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up bold and strong? You say, I commit to be a city on a hill. I commit to not shrink back. I commit to be bold and strong. Knowing that God is for me. And if God is for me, it doesn't matter what devil in hell is angry with me. As a matter of fact, I think if you haven't met the devil head on, it's probably because you're walking along with him. What I'd like to do is I'd like to offer an opportunity for every person in here and every person that is online right now that maybe you had a relationship with Jesus at one point, but maybe it cooled off or Or maybe you've never even said yes to Jesus, but today you want to do that. You say, you know what? I I, I don't want to live my life in the shadows. I don't want to live my life lukewarm. I want to live my life hot. I want to live my life on fire for Jesus. And today I want to recommit to do that. If that is you today, I want you just to lift your hand up. Just lift it up. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you in the back. Oh my gosh, so many. Wow, amazing, incredible. And for those of you online, just type it in the bar, the search bar right there. Just communicate with somebody. We'd love to get you resources. Listen, our service pastors are going to come up here in just a second, our campus pastors, and they are going to tell you what you do next. But the first thing I want to do is I want to lead all of us in a prayer. Everybody say this out loud together. Say, Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. You said in your word, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you died on the cross and you rose again, we shall be saved. We accept that right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Here's our campus pastors with the next step. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.